Well, let me add my welcome to you as well. In case you're a guest, I'm Pastor Josh. Got to be one of the pastors here and uh, get to open up our copy of Scripture to the Gospel of John. And so we are in John chapter 1, as uh, Rachel read. John chapter 1, page 886 in your pew Bible. And we are working through that Gospel of John in a sermon series called Believe, right? And we call the sermon series Believe because John has written this book, this gospel, with this stated purpose. John tells us what the purpose of his book is in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Don't turn there, just listen to it. John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written... So that, that's the reason, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So you heard John's goal. John's goal for you as reading this book is for you to believe. But there are few concepts that are more misunderstood by Christians and non-Christians alike than the concept of faith. You know, most people understand faith as this. Faith is something that you use when you have no information, right? Well, let's see. Um, This makes no sense. Guess that's where faith comes in. You know, um, let's check our brains at the door. I mean, after all, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. So uh, let's conjure up some faith in faith. And uh, let's take this leap in the dark. Who's with me? But that's not how the Bible understands faith. This morning, you're going to need to know a definition of faith. Faith is the response to information. Faith is the response to information. You are given a piece of information. You plug your brain in. You weigh the evidence. You investigate the claim. And you consider the testimony. And then what you do with that information is either you believe it or you don't believe it. Faith is always a response to information or to a proposition or to a person. So what is critical about faith is what you put your faith in. The fact that you believe is neither here nor there. Everyone has faith faith, without exception. You can't live without putting your faith in something or someone. So what really matters is what you put your faith in, because you could believe a lie, and that would be disastrous. The fact that you believe in the truth is critical. So in other words, you want your faith founded on fact. And we are fortunate that we have a gospel writer that understands your need. If you've never studied the Bible before, and you're coming to church and you're our guest, you might think Bible writers and Bible teachers like me might want to coerce you into belief. That we want to get you to indulge in a blind leap of faith. We might ask you to suspend all reason. But that is not the case. What we have here in the Bible, and hopefully this morning through Bible teachers, is that we are aware of your need for rational, 
reasonable, incredible evidence. And so John is going to write this case to you in a way that can actually hold up in the court of law. Notice his language and his method come from this serious arena of the court of law. Language and method that we have right here bookending our passage. Look first at John 1.19 and catch the word testimony. John 1.19, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Then the last verse, verse 34, this is bookending. It's sandwiching our section. Verse 34, hear the word witness. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. You guys know that testimony and witnesses come from the court of law, right? A witness is a person who can testify firsthand knowledge of an event in history. And a testimony is what he or she gives under oath before men to establish the facts of history. I only know an event happened on the basis of witnesses and testimony of people who were actually there. An eyewitness testimony establishes the facts of history. Well, let's have a little bit of fun again this week. You tell me how long I would last as a judge. Here's the scenario. I'm a judge and I'm trying a case. I'm seeking to establish the facts what truly happened, and a witness is called before me. And I say, okay, but before you go any further, were you there at the scene of the accident? To which the person says, yes, your honor, I was there. I was there the whole time. I looked and I saw all of it. Then I say, move on. I do not want to hear from you. Next witness is called. And I say, okay, before you testify, I want to ask you a question. Were you there? Your Honor, I was not there. In fact, I was 2,000 miles away. But I have a theory. And I say, well, great. I'd love to. Do tell. I would like to know your testimony. Now, you tell me, how long would I last as a judge? <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> okay. I would not last very long because a judge wants to listen to people who were actually there, not people that were 2,000 miles away with a theory. That would be madness. The only witnesses I can possibly believe are the witnesses who were there. And that is why the Gospel of John is so important. John employs legal language to establish the truth of who Jesus was and what he has done on the basis of witnesses. This book rests on witnesses who have seen Witnesses who have heard and witnesses who talk about it. So this morning, I invite you to weigh their witness. Your Bible is open to page 886. We're going to hear the testimony of people that were actually there. Rather than 21st century books, of people who were not there. Actually, let me try to come full circle. Faith is the response to information. What information you believe is critical? On whose authority are you going to judge who is Jesus and what he came to do? First century eyewitnesses 
or secular opinions from the 21st century? On whose authority will you place your trust? When it comes to big decisions in your life, if I can put it so bluntly, says who? John's going to build the case that you should put your faith in Jesus Christ because He comes highly attested and highly accredited. Here's the point of the sermon. Jesus is the only one with all of God's authority to accomplish the task that only God can do. You should put your faith in Jesus in response to the information given about Jesus. He comes highly attested. He comes highly accredited. And so John's saying, look at his commendations. Look at his credentials. Because Jesus Christ is God's man for God's job. Sermon in a paragraph. Jesus Christ is God's man for God's job. You should put your faith in Him. Let's go ahead and build this case together. First, Jesus comes highly attested as God's man for God's job. Right at the start, John calls John the Baptist to the witness stand. Why John the Baptist? Well, he is a public figure of national prominence. You can see that in verses 19 and 22. Track with me. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. And so the Jews send priests and Levites from Jerusalem to interrogate John. And these priests and Levites are the compliant department of the Jerusalem temple. Okay, that's who they are. And John was very clearly a public figure. All of Judea and Jerusalem was going out to meet him, it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 5. It was a national phenomenon. If you were alive back then, you would have woken up in the morning, grabbed your Jerusalem journal, and John the Baptist would have been on the front page. Everybody would have known about him. They are so impressed with John the Baptist that they ask him, are you the Messiah? Verse 20. Are you the great Elijah, verse 21? Are you the great prophet, verse 21? He is a personal, public figure of national prominence, but he also has personal character. That's kind of odd sometimes in public figures of national prominence. In fact, unlike most public figures of national prominence, John is worried not that people think too little of him. John is actually worried that people think too much of him. He is concerned that they think that he is the Messiah, Elijah, or the great prophet. So he confesses. That's rather curious language, right? He does not deny, it says. It really just means that he's very careful to speak the absolute truth. And so it says it three times. He does not deny, but he confesses three times. I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet to come. He has humility. Look at what he says about himself in verse 23. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John is saying, all I am is a voice. I am not the man that you're looking for. I'm not even the message. It's not mine. The message is not mine. All I am is a voice. I'm an amplifier. So don't look at me. Look over my shoulder. There's someone more important coming. That's what he says in verses 26 and 27. John answered, 
I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John's point is, you think I'm great? No way. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who is to come. Now, in order to grasp how great a claim that is about Jesus, you have to realize something important about first century culture. In first century Jewish culture, you would never allow even your Hebrew slave to untie your sandals. It was a job that was only fitting for a migrant worker, a Gentile slave. Such was the derogatory nature of this task. So what kind of authorization of how unique and how special is Jesus? Because here we have, remember, John, a public figure of national prominence who is not even worthy to do the job of a Gentile slave. Who is this person that is going to come? Jesus comes, highly attested, as God's man for God's job. You should put your trust in Him. Faith is the response to information. Consider the information given by this eyewitness testimony. But we want to be sensitive to you that are skeptics this morning. And here's probably your biggest question. Why would I want to believe a first century Jew's proclamation? I mean, especially this guy, John the Baptist. I mean, I know something about the chosen. Isn't this crazy, John? Yes. And you probably think, you know, people back then, I mean, they are so much more gullible than people today. They had loads of messiahs back then. They were looking for someone to believe in. It's just part of their cultural expectation. You know what? If that's your doubt, you're partially right. They do have cultural expectations of a chosen one that is to come, that was going to be able to do only what God could do Himself. But that doesn't make them more gullible, right? It actually makes them less gullible than we are, because they already had a whole set of Scriptures. They already had a whole Old Testament that told them exactly who this Messiah had to be and what He had to be like. And so it doesn't make them more gullible, it actually makes them less gullible because not just anybody could persuade them to believe that they were the Messiah. That person had to actually live up to all of what the Old Testament said. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves this morning is, no, don't throw out their witness, listen to it, and ask yourself this question. Does Jesus Christ tick all the boxes? Does he measure up? Is he a direct match between what's predicted in the Old Testament and what this first century Jew has an eyewitness of? That's why John the Baptist's testimony is so important. His testimony is more than just an add-on of a public national figure. I'm John the Baptist, and I approve this message. No. What John is doing here is he's actually connecting Jesus Christ to the entire Old Testament. John's witness carries the weight of the whole Old Testament authority. 
Look at John chapter 1, verse 23. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Here it is, as the prophet Isaiah said. It's a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 40, where God promised to send a rescuer to God's people to provide a perfect substitute to pay for their sins. But God says, before I send that Messiah, there's going to come a messenger before to prepare the people. So John the Baptist breaks on the scene into the context of all of the Old Testament, announcing that he is the voice to prepare for the arrival of God himself. Which now connects Jesus to the whole stream of the Old Testament and what God has been doing over centuries and millennia. Jesus is God's man for God's job because he alone is the one who meets and fulfills all of the Old Testament predictions. You should put your faith in him on the basis of that information given. That has serious implications for us this morning. I think you should find it encouraging that Jesus has not come out of the blue. Jesus is not a rogue figure. He doesn't just break into history. He doesn't come unexpected. He doesn't come unannounced. It isn't as if God woke up one day and said, you know what, I think I'm going to send my son today. Bam! No. Jesus is not a bolt out of the blue. Jesus arrives in the context of the whole Old Testament of what God has been doing for centuries and millennia. And it's the whole Old Testament that can actually explain who he is and why he came. Jesus Christ, if I can put it in a sentence, is coming as a fulfillment of all of God's promises and plans. So Jesus comes with the weight of the entire Old Testament saying, this is him. This is what I've been preparing you and promising you would happen for over centuries. And now John took on the scene and attests that this Jesus is that God. Jesus comes highly attested. Second, Jesus comes highly accredited as God's man for God's job. He comes highly accredited as God's man for God's job. You can see that Jesus has a triple A rating here based upon the titles that John gives Jesus. Look at how John points Jesus out in verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, title, who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb, as we read about from Exodus that Ben had, and then we read about in Isaiah, and then we read about all the way in Revelation, is this sacrificial image of one whose life is given 
so that sins might be forgiven. In Jesus Christ, you have someone who is able to take away your sin by paying for your sin. He takes away your sin by putting your sin upon Himself. Well, how can Jesus do that? John goes on in verse 30. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. John is saying he is preeminent. He ranks before me because he was preexistent. He he came even before I was born. Jesus is not another prophet, as the Muslims would say. Jesus is not a holy man, as the Hindus would say. Jesus is not the first creation, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would say. John the Baptist takes the stand and with his hand raised, swears an oath and says, this Jesus is that God. He is the only one with all of God's authority to accomplish the task that only God can do. And that is the message that we want to share with the whole world. Because He is the Lamb Who can save the sins of the world? Well, how did John know that? How did John actually come to put his faith in Jesus Christ? What information was John given that was reasonable, rational, credible for him to put his faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah? Look at verse 33. John admits, I myself didn't know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said, hey, look for the one who you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. So John's on the witness stand. He's being cross-examined. How do you know Jesus is the one? How do you know Jesus is the Messiah? And John the Baptist would say, God made it known to me the means by which it would be validated. And when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended as a dove, and it rested on Him, according to Mark chapter 1, verse 10. And when John the Baptist saw that, it was confirmation to him. It was confirmed in his experience by the word that was given to him by God. And so, the word of God and John's experience was a direct match. What God said would happen, John the Baptist says, I saw it happen. In essence, what you really have now is not John the Baptist's testimony. What do you have? You have God's witness. Because when the Spirit rests and remains on Jesus, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Well, maybe you're beginning to think there is something about this Jesus that would make Him the Messiah, identified as the Chosen One. He has certainly a high attestation from the whole Old Testament. He comes highly accredited as the Lamb of God, but we also see that He comes highly accredited because the Spirit remains on Him. For those of you that are kind of more Bible students here, you would know The Spirit does come down and rest on people in the Old Testament, typically on particular individuals. It was normal for the high priest to have the Spirit come and to rest on him, and it would equip him to do his job of mediation. 
Oftentimes kings were filled and indwelt by the Holy Spirit to rule well. But you would never have a person who was a king and a priest together. And you also never had the Spirit actually remain on somebody. The Spirit would for a season come and use that person and then move on. But now we have a break in the story. Now we have one who is a king and who is a priest and who the Spirit doesn't just come down momentarily, but the Spirit rests and remains. It is God's anointing that this is my chosen Son for all to see, that Jesus Christ is God's man for God's job. So the information comes to you. Faith is a response to information. What are you going to do with Jesus? You know, some people will say, it doesn't really matter what I believe as long as I'm sincere. Well, let me ask you, friend, on what authority are you making your big decisions in life? On the basis of sincerity? Is sincerity a sufficient basis to build your life on? Let's look, right, and weigh the authority of sincerity. I present to you the evidence of food. I wish I actually had some. Actually, well, yeah, let's just use this. I present to you the evidence of what it seems to be a breath mint. It doesn't really matter what you ingest as long as you sincerely believe it's good for you. Let's do this, okay? It's not in a wrapper. <laughs> you don't know where it came from. You don't know how many enemies I have. It actually is dangerous. <laughs> okay, no, just kidding. All right. But because you sincerely believe that you like it, you like the shape of it, you like the color of it, you think it's going to taste good, that this cannot hurt you because you're sincere. No. It's not going to work, is it? Faith is the response to information. And friends, the authority you base your life on needs to be more than sincerity. Jesus is the only one with all of God's authority to do the work that only God can do. You should put your trust in Him. There is no need for ignorance. He comes highly attested. The whole Old Testament, you can read that. He comes highly accredited. As God's man for God's job, it is not a leap in the dark to trust him. There are so many here who have weighed the evidence and have responded to the information with faith and have put their faith in him. But there are also others here today who still need to weigh the evidence and determine if Jesus is worth following. This morning, we've only covered 16 verses. There are 878 more verses in John to help you believe. I want to invite you to take a guided read-through of John one-on-one. We'll buy you a coffee at a place that you would want to meet. We're going to cover the very first time just 18 sentences. And I'll promise you up front, we're going to only ask you two questions at the end. Did you enjoy it? And would you like to know more? And if you would, 
We'll take you out again, we'll buy you another coffee, and we'll cover more verses. But if you need more time to put your faith in Jesus Christ based upon information, not suspending reason, not because we got you all riled up in here and makes you feel tingly inside, no, but because of what he actually is, we'd love to meet with you one-on-one. Ask your friend that brought you, or you can sign up in the bulletin this morning. Faith family, you probably already know that Jesus Christ is the only worthy object of your faith. But my question to you, if you're here and you're already a Christian, is this. Do you know where your faith should lead? Where does faith lead you? True faith in Jesus should lead you to follow Jesus with all of your life. To follow Jesus in this aggressive, harsh, real, and secular world, you need to have a view of Jesus that matches John the Baptist's view of Jesus. Jesus comes highly attested and highly accredited. And I'm asking you, faith family, how big is your view of Jesus? Does the Jesus of your thinking, does the Jesus of your Christianity, the effort and the time you put in, match the real-life Jesus of history? Faith family, the stakes are high. Because a deficient view of Jesus leads to a deficient faith. And a deficient faith will not stand up to the harsh, aggressive, real, secular culture out there. We will not be known as disciples. We will be known as deserters. Because a domesticated Jesus is not worth following. If the Jesus Christ you are following is an accessory, you will swap that out at a moment's notice for something more culturally convenient and respectable. So I'm asking you, faith family, what next step of faith do you need to take so that your view of Jesus matches the real Jesus who comes highly attested? and highly accredited. Jesus is greater than you might realize. Let me just get practical. Have you taken an overview class of the Bible? It's offered on Sunday morning. Right now, Rich Planchet is doing an overview of the New Testament. Eric Steinhauser, two different times, taught an overview of the Old Testament. You should take those classes to know this Jesus better. Have you considered taking a theology class? Yes, doctrine. Why would I want to know doctrine? Why is doctrine important? Let me just go off on a little tangent here to wrap this up. This is in closing. Doctrine is the pathway to a deeper relationship with God. Let me say that again. Doctrine is the pathway to a deeper relationship with God. To love God, you must know God. Last week, I introduced you to my sister. This week, I want to introduce you to my wife, Lauren, of 15 years. Lauren is uh, blonde. She's about 5'8", and um, she's tech-savvy, works for Apple and Google uh, remotely. (laughs) Now, if you know my wife, you are probably wondering, how could he say he loves her more than any other woman in the world, and yet her name isn't? Lauren, but Laura, and we've been married 18 years, not 15. 
You see, it's really hard to say that you love somebody more than anyone else in the world, and yet you can't even describe them accurately. You would question my love for her if I can't tell you, I love her because she actually is this. And it's the same thing with God. Can you say, faith family, that I love Him? And yet you have not spent time getting to know this Jesus, who alone has God's authority to do the job that only God can do. And if you want to make it in this real, harsh, secular culture that is aggressive against your faith, you better have not an itty-bitty Jesus, but the real Jesus that comes, highly attested and highly accredited, because He's the only Jesus worth holding on to in this world. And the more you know Him, it'll give you the greater confidence to follow Him, no matter what you may face out there. I know that the next Sunday School class roster in May, when warm weather comes, will be our biggest attendance because you're saying, I want to know this God in order to worship this God. Friends, the heart cannot follow what the mind does not know. Let's pray. Actually, before I pray, I'm going to auction off a book. <laughs> I've been having all kinds of fun lately, uh, and so let me auction this off. This is a book that has changed the rep logos. Did I do that right? Rep logos. <laughs> we've, we've said it. We've butchered it all kinds of ways in the past coming weeks. But in your bulletin, there's three books written that have changed our missionaries' lives. I just happen to have four copies of one of these books. This will shape your view of Jesus. <laughs> Five bucks. <sighs> okay, I wasn't even going to charge money. This is how I was going to auction it. Who can read it this month? I have four copies. Who can read it this month? Raise your hand if you could read it this month. In a month, you could read 200, 200 pages. You could read a month in 200 pages. Okay. Only one. Who could read it in two weeks? Uh, who will read it in the next two weeks? <laughs> who, <laughs> I, I've never done this before, but uh, yeah. Go on once. Go on twice. Who will read it in the next two weeks? Raise your hand. One, two... Nate, is that a hand or is that an eye scratch? I got four copies. Okay. If you can, yep, read it in the next two weeks, I have a copy for you. And if you can read it in the next, or you want to, Jolene? Okay, in the next month. This book is called Jesus Gentle and Lowly. It will give you a very high view of who Jesus is, so that your view of him actually matches who he really is. This is worship material. You can't find, I think, a more devotional, better book this year. Pat and I have, read it, have loved it. Others in here have loved it. See me at the door. Let me pray. I'm sure I'm over time. What time is it? Church, what time is it? 10.32. We started at what time? 9.30. Never been done before. Was the sabbatical worth it? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, Lord, we thank you for laughter. We thank you for the fun we've had. Uh, but Lord, we have had to come to grips with who you are. And we thank you that there is so much evidence for us to put our faith in. Lord, it is not the amount of a faith that we have. It is just the object of our faith. And so may we get to know our object better to increase our confidence to follow you. 
If there's anyone here today that hasn't considered the, the evidence enough, that needs more time, would you give them the courage to talk to their friend that brought them, talk to me at the door, and would you draw them to yourself, opening their eyes, giving them faith, not by suspending reason, but by showing them who you are, what you've came to do, and how you've fulfilled all the prophecy to do it. Thank you for these displays of your glory, and we pray that you would increase our faith, renew our faith as we walk out these doors, and give us the boldness to share with courage and kindness this great news that we have, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's stand and sing.